This is The Drive with Josh Graham podcast. Tune into The Drive weekday afternoons 3 to 7 on Sports Hub Triad. What a day it's already been. Roberts, Oregon Ducks handing it to Iowa in an upset. Top-seeded Gonzaga is putting the finishing touches on Oklahoma. And what's starting to look like a mass exodus in Chapel Hill started in a very unpredictable place. With Walker Kessler transferring out of the program today, he announced he's entering the transfer portal. This happened as Caleb Love's dad tweeted, North Carolina isn't doing enough to keep players, and he's firing pot shots at Roy after the game Friday night. Plus, Armando Baycott's dad posted on Twitter, quote, changes everything in all caps. And it all stinks to me. And I think it's related to the product we saw on the floor this season. See, this group of underclassmen have treated the University of North Carolina like a glorified AAU school. It reminds me a ton of what we saw with Jalen Johnson and... We'll get to more of that and some of the parallels we've seen between what's happening with UNC right now and with Duke during the one-and-done era. But it was something I hinted at after the game on Friday. And after seeing the reaction to the game, it's only been reinforced to me. The freshmen have no reverence towards this program. They don't seem to care about Carolina family or it doesn't seem to matter to them as much as it does the older players on this team. And many points this year, the Tar Heels played like a McDonald's All-American team, not a college basketball blue blood coached by Roy Williams. In college sports, team and structure is a lot more important than talent alone. Just don't tell the helicopter parents that. We talked about this very thing as it related to Jalen. This was maybe a month ago. And now we're seeing it in Chapel Hill. If you listen to Roy and older players speak throughout the season, as I have, I've been on all these Zoom calls, we've caught up with players and coaches through the wins and the losses, selfishness was a common theme this year. Turnovers. Roy, he keeps bringing up the old Dean Smith saying, when you turn over the basketball, it's either because of carelessness or selfishness. And he said many times this year, the turnover problem could be cited to selfishness. It's been an issue, turnovers. Defense was a problem early on in the year, namely against NC State. That was the first red flag I had this season. When they lost that game, and we know the way that Roy feels about NC State, he doesn't love them, he has absolute disdain for them, dating back to his days as a JV player in Chapel Hill. There's nothing he enjoys more than going into PNC Arena and having success and beating NC State. When they went in there and had what he described multiple times this season as being the worst defensive performance he's seen since returning to Chapel Hill, that's a red flag. Then against Georgia Tech, this is around New Year's. Licky Black was talking about the issues North Carolina was having, and this is what he said. I feel like we're all just being selfish right now. I feel like we're all not bought in completely, and it's, it's showing out there. And I feel like um, that's just our main problem. Once we get over the hump and we all buy in and play together, 
we'll get back to North Carolina basketball. I, I don't think that ever happened this year. I remember that night I followed up on what Lakey said there, asking, well, you keep saying that selfishness is the issue. What do you mean by that? And what he pointed to was, we have great, efficient bigs, and we're not feeding them in the post. We're not even giving them one touch on a possession. It's selfishness when you take these bad shots, which seemed directly pointed at this young freshman backcourt. Then you had the Marquette game. The Marquette game was the most telling game of the season for the Tar Heels. Roy was going for win 900. Everybody knew it. We thought it was going to be the story. Roy's going to get 900 against an under 500 team coached by a dookie. This is a game North Carolina wins every time. They just came off a win. (laughs) They beat Louisville by 45 points the previous Saturday. Everybody thought this was a win. Former Tar Heel players that I talked to, guys who won national titles in Chapel Hill, told me there's no way, no how, if they were on the team, they'd lose that game to Marquette that night. They'd win it for their coach. No chance they'd lose to a former Dookie and an under 500 team with 900 hanging in the balance. And they lost to Marquette, and it wasn't even that close of a game. Now, the way that we covered it on this show, regretfully, was talking about it in the context of Roy getting mad at a question that I asked, and it ended up all over ESPN and all the different TV stations, and uh, Charles Barkley's calling me an idiot. But what I haven't talked about so much was that it was a follow-up that led to him leaving, finishing his press conference that way. The first question I asked, he mentioned something about practice wasn't so good. And he had concerns when the game started. And I wanted them to expand on that. And I think the answer he gave there, which didn't get as much attention as the follow-up, was the most telling thing with Tar Heel basketball this year. He said something that immediately triggered red flags for former players as something that no other player would think about doing who's been around Roy Williams for any period of time. Here was that answer. Uh, We've had a couple of good wins, and then we turn around and we think we're uh, a lot better than we really are. We don't have the attention to detail. Uh, It's bad coaching, bad coaching. I I called a set one time, and I got out, and they ran another set. They're not disciplined enough to do what I say. They went out on the court and changed their mind. So it's uh, bad coaching. The idea, see, plays, they work sometimes, they don't. The idea that Roy communicated a play to his team and they ran something completely different, I think, tells the story. Players, older players, Leaky Black saying, oh, it's selfishness, and specifically talking about the young backcourt that mostly consists of freshmen. Roy talking about a completely different set being run, which you know is something that happens. It's triggered and started in the backcourt by Caleb or R.J. Davis. You've got parents firing off at Roy, and I think these red flags are all related to each other. With Walker now transferring out, and he's probably not going to be alone Maybe it's Armando Baycott. I hope he doesn't go, but you have his dad tweeting out that thing that's certainly ominous. And Caleb's dad, after the game, 
on Saturday night tweeted the following. It's not the strongest of the species that survived, nor the most intelligent, but the one most responsive to change. Sometimes it's not the player, sometimes it's the adult. The adults, leadership not accepting evolution. Parents think they know better than Hall of Fame coaches. This is why I believe this group of freshmen treated North Carolina like a glorified AAU school. Because we saw in Durham a few years ago, Duke almost went to a Final Four with a team I believe hated each other. 2018, Grayson Allen had a shot lip out against Kansas that if it drops, they go to the Final Four. They ended up losing to Devontae Graham and company in overtime. That was back in 2018. After the season ended, the floodgates burst. Wendell Carter's mom is comparing Wendell's experience at Duke to slavery. You've got Marvin Bagley's dad, who was constantly just upset courtside, visibly upset all throughout the year, standing behind the Duke bench while all the other parents are sitting. He literally owned a league in AAU basketball to put Marvin Bagley in the best situation. Gary Trent's parents said after the fact that Duke put the speed limit on Gary Trent. They don't. We haven't seen the best of Gary Trent, and it's because of Coach K. That team almost went to the Final Four, and it wasn't good enough for these parents because, individually speaking, they didn't do as well as they wanted them to. That's the AAU way. It's a group of parents who are just collectively looking out for their kids to make sure they are statistically putting out the best stats, has the best output, so that way they get to the league and make the most money. But here's the issue with that. Just because something's best for your kid doesn't mean it's best for the team. And the idea that one of these parents, or many of these parents, would have issue with Coach K or Roy Williams, who combined have close to 1,800 college wins and are both Hall of Famers, is an incredibly uh, uh, ridiculous thing. And it lacks self-awareness. The pandemic, it makes things worse. Nobody could have been that happy this year when you're in isolation. So I'm not going to underscore that. I think it definitely plays a role. You're going to see a lot of guys transfer out with the one-time waiver, the one-time transfer waiver being a thing that becomes a reality in all likelihood this summer. That plays a role in it as well. It's going to look like the wild, wild west, according to Coach K. But every place, the grass is going to look greener compared to where you've been this past year. You know, how can you have a lot of pride in North Carolina basketball when you you don't know what it's like to run out when 20... 21,000 people pack the Smith Center and you're going through that tunnel and you don't know what it's like to have in-person classes where you're the guy on campus or go into parties and all these things. That's where you develop that pride. The chemistry. It shouldn't be a surprise they look like a McDonald's All-American team when they're not able to build chemistry off the floor other than the two and a half hours, three hours they have together during practices. It was a really tough year. They didn't get the college experience. So I'm sympathetic to that. However... I'm going to call a spade a spade. This group did not treat the University of North Carolina with reverence. They treated it like a glorified AAU school, and that's the reason I feel, the larger reason I feel, this team underachieved. Now, 
in a year the ACC's taken so much grief from Big Ten fans, I'd love nothing more than the ACC to send more teams to the Sweet 16 than the Big Ten. I'd love nothing more than that. As of right now, Syracuse is the only team from either league to punch its tickets to next weekend. Iowa getting beat by Oregon, as I mentioned a little while ago. And all it's been met with, all the feedback I've heard, all the reaction, I should say, to Syracuse's win has been haters knocking the 2-3 zone. If they played a real form of basketball instead of the cowardly zone, they wouldn't have won a game. How is this a popular sentiment? I I get Jim Beheim's not the most likable coach. I understand that. For as much as I love making fun of Beheim, I don't think he should apologize for the way he plays, nor will he. I think yesterday he said, there's never been a word I cared about on the internet. There's never been a word that matters, a sentence that matters that I've seen on the internet. The zone absolutely does not cheapen these wins because in college sports, the niche and systems can win. That's how you can overcome talent disparity, right? Just ask Paul Johnson at Georgia Tech all those years and Kenny Amatololo at Navy. When you're not getting the best talent, how do you overcome that gap? In the pros, you don't have to because the talent gap is a lot smaller from team to team. You're, everybody's trying to essentially do the same thing. There's not as much variation in style. It's why I love college sports. Systems win in college basketball. UVA runs at a really slow pace. Last in college basketball this year, but they won a national title a few years ago, and they were the regular season champs of the ACC yet again. I think for the fifth time in eight years, UNC, Roy Williams with the two bigs, and Dean Smith, heck, he won so much with four corners, and he got criticized for it. Nolan Richardson with his aggressiveness, uh, 40 minutes of hell with Arkansas. Systems win. So Jim Beheim shouldn't be ridiculed here. When he has the talent, he cuts down nets, and he did so with Carmelo in 2003. There's a reason why he's won over 1,000 games as a coach. Now, he's not, I think, at 1,000 when you take away the wins that were, you know, vacated, but the point's still standing. You don't win that many games just because teams don't know what to do against your zone in March. But here's the other reason why I don't think it's just the zone here. They're not winning games 50-48. to They're scoring a ton of points. And Buddy Buckets, Buddy Bayheim, he's he's been the best player in the tournament so far. Just like he was the best player until Syracuse got knocked out of the ACC tournament. He, he's been tremendous. And I feel like well, we know this. Loyola, Chicago, Oregon State, Houston, or Syracuse is going to be going to the Final Four. Houston's facing Syracuse on Saturday. I think the winner of that basketball game is going to go to the Final Four because how difficult of a matchup it is on short prep to face the way that Kelvin Sampson in Houston plays defense, which is really aggressive, and Quentin Grimes can get you a bucket when he needs to, and also Syracuse's 2-3 zone. It's just going to be difficult for either Loyola or Oregon State if they get to the Elite Eight. So I think Saturday is the de facto regional championship. Whoever wins that game, I think, is going to go to the Final Four. As long as you keep talking, talking, they can't end the show. You're on The Drive with Josh Graham on Sports Hub Triad. 
if anybody knows what's happened in that Tar Heel locker room this year, it's Inside Carolina's Greg Barnes, who's kind enough to join us now on what I'm sure has been a really busy day. Greg, I was talking about this earlier in the hour, that sometimes we just assume everything's hunky-dory in the locker room because it's pretty easy, especially given the fact we're not in locker rooms this year, to make it seem like everything's all right. But this Tar Heel team, it reminds me of the Duke team a few years ago, that after the season ended, the floodgates burst with parents like uh, Wendell Carter's parents and Gary Trent Jr.'s parents saying that their kid was held back and not put in the best situation. And it all just comes off like AAU basketball. And that's what I was reminded of the last few days, seeing what Caleb Love's dad had to say, the expectation that there's going to be a lot of turnover. What do you know about the dynamics surrounding this team? The locker room, was it fractured at all? Yeah, that's a great question. And, and I don't know that I would go so far as to say a fractured locker room. Um, I do think you have a situation, and you hit on it well there, uh, and Roy's even mentioned this this season. But when you're talking about you know, an elite recruiting class coming in, a lot of those guys had expectations to, to maybe be a one-and-done. Uh, Armando Bacot last year you know, had, had talked about possibly going pro after one year. So that's, that's in the back of their mind. They're, they're wanting to make that jump. Um, and then you get into a situation where this year for North Carolina, the underclassmen – certainly were more talented than the upperclassmen. However, for anybody that watched North Carolina this year, uh, Roy is going to go with the, the floor more so than the ceiling. And what I mean by that is you've got to do a number of baseline things. Um, and he knows that Garrison Brooks and Licky Black and maybe Andrew Playtech are going to do those baseline things. Um, and it, that you can't go into a game and, and hurt the team. That's kind of how Roy phrases it. Um, but we saw moments where the freshmen really kind of popped. And then you saw moments where they didn't and they really hurt the team. So that was, that was a big part of this. Uh, and then you also have the, the other dynamic, which I, I think this is going to play out not just in Chapel Hill, but really across the state and across the country, of because you have this weird year with COVID where the kids don't get to experience uh, what makes a program special. You know, you don't get to experience running through a tunnel to a full crowd. You don't get to experience a lot of the uh, things with fans that maybe you normally would. So you don't have those things that anchor you to a spot. And when you add in the fact that the NCAA is about to you know, open up the transfer situation, the one-time transfer rule in April likely, where anybody can transfer and not have to sit out a year, all these things kind of combined to where this is an ideal situation where if you don't think you're getting the playing time you want, if you don't think you're being utilized the way that you should be, it's an easy out. You don't really have any ties to the, the community. Uh, you can make a change and not be a big deal. Uh, so a lot of different things like that kind of go into play. I don't think it was a matter of the, the locker room being broken as much as it was You know, a lot of these guys kind of have their own ideas about who they are and what they should be. Uh, and sometimes those don't match up, and that leads to situations like this. Greg Barnes of Inside Carolina with the Sun Sports Up Dryad. Did Walker Kessler's transfer surprise you? Uh, no, not necessarily, because we've we've been hearing rumblings for uh, weeks, if not months, uh, about his his family not really being happy. Uh, and and really, I think part of what it is is he's used as a as a true big. 
And let's not forget, he had two 14-day quarantine periods due to contact tracing early in the year. That really set him back. Uh, and But when he came in, there was some expectation that, hey, maybe he could end up being like Luke May. It could be a guy that could step out, even though he's seven foot, and knock down some jumpers because he's got that kind of talent. Is that something that offended his family when that suggestion came public or was leaked out some way, somehow, that he was told by Roy or somebody that he was leaked to a guy that was under-recruited when Walker wasn't? No, I don't think so. I think it's really just a matter of they, they, didn't, they didn't like the way uh, that he was used and that the way it appeared that he was going to be utilized in the years to come. And I think that's it more than anything. I, mean, I, I, I do think you have this unique dynamic where uh, you have upperclassmen who maybe don't have the same talent, but at the same time, I mean, anybody wants to talk about Walker Kessler's playing time, go watch the Syracuse game on March 1st. He went out on the court. He didn't play many minutes, and for reason. I mean, he, the minutes that he got were probably too many because he just did not know what to do against the zone, and that is perfectly fine because he's a true freshman kind of learning his way. Uh, so I don't think it's really necessarily a playing time thing as much as it was they didn't think that he was being utilized or that he was going to be utilized the way that they thought he should, the way that they wanted him to be able to pr- progress his career. How much turnover this offseason would surprise Greg Barnes? Well, how much would surprise me? Ooh, that, that's a tough one. Um, it would not surprise me to see several moves beyond just the, you know, the graduating class. Um, and it's just a, just a matter of, as, as I mentioned earlier, there's so many different things in play. Uh, and when you factor in the – I really think that one-time transfer rule is going to be uh, devastating across the country. It's going to be like a Wild Wild West situation. A lot of kids are going to be leaving. Uh, and I, I think North Carolina is not immune to that. And I think there are some situations where it may not be the best fit for some of these guys. And we're talking about a, a program that right now has seven freshmen. And so when you have that many people in your your particular class, that's a situation where you're competing with those people for the foreseeable future for playing time. Uh, So it would not surprise me if there was more than Walker Kessler who who decided to leave. What was the biggest red flag for you this year when it came to Carolina? Because the things that stood out to me, it was the NC State game. We know how Roy feels about NC State. He communicates it to his players. For them to have what he described to be their worst defensive performance – and his 18 years, and he said it multiple times this year, Leaky Black had the comments where he called players that didn't feed it in the post enough selfish after the Georgia Tech game. The Marquette game with 900 on the line. I talked to former players who said after the fact, there's no way we would have allowed Roy Williams to lose that game in the Smith Center. And after that game, Roy got a ton of attention when he stormed off after that question I asked, but it was a follow-up, and the first answer he gave to me he said something that was incredibly alarming to former players, that they ran a set this in that game that Roy didn't call for. What do you think was the biggest red flag this year and what was an underwhelming Tar Heel season? Wow, there's a lot of, <laughs> there's a lot of directions I could go with this. I, I think probably the, the most pressing thing, um, well, there's two, but the, the most pressing to me is that you have this dynamic where your your underclassmen are more talented than your upperclassmen. Your upperclassmen have been around. They understand what it takes. Maybe the young guys don't. But yet, young guys know that they're more talented. And so you have to wonder about the leadership dynamic. And, and not knocking Garrison Brooks, great guy, 
he's never been a vocal leader. And I don't think Leaky Black's very much a vocal guy either. And so this is the year, if you, if you had a David Noel or a Marcus Page or a George Lynch, that would be ideal. And North Carolina didn't have that. And so that, that sets in motion some, a little bit of issues there, where typically, as you say, like the NC State game, a strong leader would say, all right, guys, look, get it together. Let's finish this out. We, we know how important this game is. And the same with Marquette. I don't know that we saw that. Um, and then the other aspect, though, I think it's kind of just how the roster was constructed. Because Roy Williams had four centers on this team. That's not a good setup. And then he's essentially got five shooting guards when you factor in Caleb Bluff, because I don't think he's a true point guard. And a couple of those shooting guards can't shoot. And so, you know, in terms of how the, the roster was uh, put together, it wasn't ideal for what Roy Williams typically has or typically wants. Um, and so I think that played a part of it, too, is that you had some glaring spots, like at the wing, where you just were not getting scoring potential. You didn't have a true point guard. And then you only had really one power forward in Garrison Brooks. And so a lot of those things kind of went, went hand in hand. Greg, I've admired your work for a very long time. Uh, I look forward to continue reading what you guys are doing inside Carolina. Uh, good luck and what I'm sure is going to be a really busy offseason. Thank you for squeezing in the time in the triad today. Yeah, sure thing. Anytime, Josh. You got it. Greg Barnes inside Carolina with us here. Is North Carolina officially a football school now, Robert? They start spring practice this week, Sam Howe, the Heisman campaign, and as it seems the Tar Heel basketball program's in flux, we learned this morning pretty big commitment to Mac Brown and his coaching staff today by the university. They've extended Mac Brown's contract through 2025. I think it's a three-year extension. That's going to put Mac on pace to be on the sideline until at least age 74. But it wasn't just Mac. Everybody who follows college football knows, don't just look at how much the head coach is making, look how much his staff's making. That's why Clemson's able to be so great and keep Brent Venables forever and Jeff Scott for all those years before he bounced to South Florida because they've been able to pay those guys multiple million dollars a year. Now, that's not what North Carolina is paying their assistants, but all the on-field assistants, all 10 of them, have been extended three-year contracts as well. Bubba Cunningham saying in a statement, we're proud of what our football program has accomplished over the last two seasons. Carolina football's on a great trajectory, and much of that can be credited to our coaches. We've worked hard to build continuity with the staff, and we're seeing the benefits of that on the field and recruiting and in the community. We're excited to watch this talented young coaching staff continue to lead this program forward. So Matt Brown set to earn $3.5 million per year every year of this contract. How about it? This year in Tar Heel football, expectations higher than I think they've ever been before. This is just crazy talk. So just listen. You're on The Drive with Josh Graham. We do the Hot Take Radio Show once a week, just for 10 minutes. It's Let's Get Crazy, 336-777-1600 if you want to play along and tell us something that you've just been stewing on from over the weekend. But before we do that, want to congratulate Wake Forest women's basketball, even though they lost to Oklahoma State yesterday. 
a historic season. I feel so good for those seniors and for Jin Hoover getting that program to the tournament for just the second time ever and the first time since 88. We followed that story over the last month and a half. Feel really good for the Demon Deacons and also a congratulations to UNCG as well. I know they lost to Florida State. It's a real shame that that was the first round matchup because we saw Ohio upset Virginia. If UNCG was in that spot, I think they win that game too. We saw North Texas upset Purdue. If it's UNCG there, I think they win that. I think they even beat Oklahoma State if they're matched up in the first round. FSU is just a poor matchup. The Seminoles opened the door for UNCG after going up 23-7. to And in the second half, opening up a big lead. Seminoles not hitting a three. They're the first ACC team to win an NCAA tournament without a three-pointer made since 1995 and just the third ever. The fight of the Spartans was so clear, and they earned a lot of respect. Facing a great coach and a really talented team and a team that's a lot deeper than they are. They fought. They kept believing. They never laid down. Congratulations to Wes Miller. Isaiah Miller as well in this UNCG program felt really good about both those teams and the effort they put forth. But I'm burying things here, Robert. Hot takes. We need to get to them. It's let's get crazy. 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 336-777-1600 if you want to play along. If you have a hot take that we deem is face-searing, face-melting hot, you will be rewarded with this sound. Robert, you want to start or should I? Uh, yeah, I'll go ahead and tick some people off. Uh, I think Walker Kessler will transfer to Duke. Oh my God. How mad would Carolina fans oh be? Oh my God. Like, I don't have a dog in the fight, but I would love to watch said dog oh, fight. Because the ACC had this long standing uh, policy that if you transferred, you could not transfer to another conference school. They threw that in the trash last week. Jim Phillips said it was outdated. That's not a thing anymore. It was a big deal when Cameron Johnson had to get a special waiver to transfer from Pitt to North Carolina. Man, that. He would become instantly the most hated Tar Heel in program history. Even more than Rashad McCants. If you transfer away from North Carolina to join Duke, those twin towers of Mark Williams and uh, and of Walker Kessler, that would certainly be something, and that does qualify as a hot take, I think. How about this? Nobody likes new. Nobody likes changes. But I think this year's NCAA tournament schedule is better than the normal one we all grew up with. Think about it. We hear it's the two best days on the sports calendar, Thursday and Friday, the first round of the tournament. What can you do to make that better? How about have one of them on a weekend? And then... Everybody laments Monday coming up. I did not hate waking up today knowing at noon we'd have college basketball. What a great feeling it was to know that we still have hoops and we have hoops till about midnight tonight. I think it's great. And moving forward, it's not just going to be hoops on Monday next week, Robert. The Elite Eight is going to be Monday, Tuesday of next week. So get prepared for that. Sweet 16 games, Saturday, Sunday, the full weekend. 
instead of usually it being Thursday and Friday. I think I can get behind this new schedule. I'd rather have games on Monday and Tuesday than Thursday and Friday. I'm all about it. I'm already looking forward to the weekend. I don't need basketball to get me ready for it. Monday and Tuesday, though, getting through those days of the week, college basketball, I think, best Serbian in those spots, so it's something I look forward to. I love the new schedule. Robert, let's get crazy. I think pears are the worst fruit, and I'm not talking about, like, you could say, like, oh, what about the durian? What about jackfruit? I'm talking about fruit here. Rick Ross would disagree with this. I I would not, but Rick Ross would disagree. I'm just saying, pears, they're not fun to eat with the skin on, like apples. They're not fun to peel and eat. I mean, even the texture of it is so weird, it's like it doesn't want you to eat it. So I'm just going to go with pears are the absolute worst fruit. Shout out to the pear. I got one. Every radio show and every Twitter account should be limited to two Oral Roberts tweets this week. I know you're going to hit me with, Josh, we live in a free country where you can say whatever you want. First Amendment, you should be able to tweet as many Oral Roberts jokes as you want. And maybe you might be right. This is why it's a hot take here. But as soon as I saw the draw of Oral Roberts going up against Arkansas, I started thinking, oh no, oh no. We're gonna, we're, the former president's gonna be mentioned a few times this week going up against Oral Roberts here. So I think, I think I have the number Robert set at the right place. Two Oral Robert jokes over a week. I think that's the fair thing to do. What do you think? I think we should say you're allowed one funny Oral Roberts jokes. The thing is, guys, I'm not but trying a lot to be of mean. Aren't funny. I like locker room humor. I'm the back of the bus kind of guy where you're joking and making fun with your friends. None of these Oral Roberts jokes are funny. Oh, I don't know, man. When I saw side by side, the picture of Bill Clinton, I get it. It's, it's he, great. He did stuff in the Oval Office. You might want to call it the Oral Office. Either I, way, I got it. They're not funny. Okay, Robert. If you made a good funny. one, I would laugh because I love that stuff. That's but a really, that's a really hot take. I think it's a good way to close it up. That's a hot take you have yourself there. They're just not fun. Whoa. I saw someone say the scoop there it is commercial. Not great. Felt that was a hot take too. And that's been Let's Get Crazy. However and wherever you're listening, appreciate that. Uh, Whether that's on the Best of Pod or you're listening on our myriad of signals we have across the triad here. A lot of upset Tar Heel fans. Even though we don't know where Walker's going to. Robert surmising, how about he goes to Duke? Just trying to take the knife and turn it into Tar Heel fans there. But rather than focus so much about the single headline and the idea, the potential of the next headline to come, other players that might be exiting the program, I think there's a bigger story surrounding Tar Heel basketball today and it's uglier than I thought it was going to be going into Friday night's game against Wisconsin. Go ahead and talk. Back to the drive with Josh Graham on Sports Hub Triad.
about 30 minutes, our March Madness NCAA tournament coverage will begin. If you haven't been following throughout the day, Oregon, a winner against Iowa. Gonzaga, the top-seeded team in the entire field, taking care of business against Oklahoma today. They'll have the winner of Creighton, Ohio. That game's going to tip off at 6-10. Florida State will be in action tonight against Colorado, trying to join Syracuse in the Sweet 16. ACC teams that are left standing. There are only a couple of Big Ten teams left standing. They they sent uh, nine to the tournament. Nine. And none of them have advanced to the Sweet 16 yet. Michigan's trying to change that tonight. Iowa lost earlier today. Maryland also has its shot against Alabama. Brian Geisinger now with us from ACCSports.com. Before we get to Syracuse and what's happening in Chapel Hill currently, LaMelo Ball broke his wrist, likely out for the remainder of the year. James Borrego was talking earlier today, and he didn't quite say it's for sure that he's going to miss the season. They put it out saying that it's an indefinite period of time. But when Woj is on something and says it's likely out for the remainder of the year, that's kind of what it is. If we're assuming that's the case, how should LaMelo's injury affect the way the Hornets approach the remainder of the season? Oh God. I mean, it changes. It could change a lot. It could change nothing. Um, I think it does change a lot though. Uh, because they are only a handful of days less from the trade deadline, which is this week on Thursday. Um, I still think Charlotte has enough if they want to continue to push for the playoffs, which I assume they will want to do. Uh, They're only a game and a half back of fourth place. They're currently in eighth. Obviously the Eastern conference is very bunched up, you know, four through 11 or 10 right now, top 10, you know, seven, through 10 are going to make the play in tournament. I think Charlotte still has enough to sort of get there. They can bring Devontae Graham in as a starting point guard, play Malik Monk more. Um, they have, they have some options, but now the question becomes, how do you play the trade deadline? Um, they've popped up in rumors for miles Turner. They've popped up in rumors for Rashawn Holmes, the center from Sacramento uh, they've last week, there were rumors about Devonte Graham, maybe being shipped out of town. I'm not believing any of this stuff until obviously until I see something actually take place, I would advocate caution. Um, because any sort of incremental move really won't do much for them other than maybe bolster their like, you know, low playoff hopes to begin with. Um, but they could use it. They could use backup center. So maybe they'll try to do something on the margins there. Uh, maybe they'll maybe they'll look bigger. I just don't like any of these Miles Turner hypotheticals that are, you know, Devontae Graham, one of PJ Washington or Miles Bridges in some draft capital. Like I have no interest in doing that. Um, it matters more what you have in terms of draft picks to yeah. build around Lamelo going forward. He's on Twitter at bguys underscore bird. Shoot him a follow there. Read his stuff accsports.com. So I'm looking around the ACC today. North Carolina. I'm not going to call it a dumpster fire, but when you get beat in what was Roy Williams' largest margin of defeat, and then you have Caleb Love's dad popping off at Roy on social media, Armando Baycott's dad tweeting, 
that changes everything on social media. <laughs> it even applies to his dad, too. That's fantastic. And um, you also have, of course, Walker Kessler transferring out. Tar Heel fans, morale is not high right now for them. They're still pretty upset at things. A quick note to pass along. We also learned that Greensboro Day alum, John Newman III from Clemson, has entered the transfer portal. Wake Forest, I I'm sure we'll give that a look to see if he can add to what Steve Forbes currently has. They only have nine scholarships that they've used so far, so that might be something of interest. But looking at North Carolina, how should Tar Heel fans process what's currently happening in Chapel Hill right now? Oh, boy. I don't know because it's this is unprecedented, right? Like not just an NCAA tournament loss, but after an uneven season, you get blasted by an okay, not great Wisconsin team. And then now you're heading into this offseason where anything could happen, right? Like even a guy like Garrison Brooks, Josh, you and I talked about this the other week. Like Garrison Brooks could come back to Chapel Hill. He could transfer. He could try to go pro. Like there are so many of those types of options on the table right, with everyone. Then, then let's break it down like individually here. What – how – I'll go player by player here, so we'll do a quick answer. How like Ke like Kessler surprised me. Yes, Kessler, I assume Kate, I assume Kessler was coming back. Me too. I'm not I'm not saying the well has been poisoned because like this stuff can turn and, and be good again so quickly. Like I'm not trying to rush to any judgments, but like it this is like I it's getting it's a little dangerous right now. This is like they're in a this they're in a bad place right now, man. Doesn't bad it place. Does it remind you of anything? Because for me, I brought up the example about a half hour ago. It reminds me of the Duke team that almost went to the final four in eighteen, where they Grayson Allen was a quarter inch away from sending Duke to the final four. Instead they lose to Devontae Graham in Kansas. And after the season ends, what do we get? You got Wendell Carter his parents are upset about the way he was handled at Duke. They didn't think Bagley was going to reclassify. Marvin Bagley's dad, which essentially who essentially owns an entire AAU league, he had he was not upset, or he was upset at the way that Kay handled Bagley, even though he was ACC Player of the Year. If you were at those games, you saw how he had his arms crossed and he was standing while all the other parents were sitting. And, and, and you have, I think, Gary Trent Jr.'s parents' quotes exactly were that under Kay... Gary Trent was only allowed to go the speed limit at Duke. It just seemed like that team hated each other. And I wouldn't be surprised if that's the case of what we've seen this past year in Chapel Hill, where there was a fracture between the younger guys who felt they were better than some of the older guys getting more playing time. And it would only be exasperated when you consider that the pandemic has made everything worse, where you can't really build as much chemistry as you'd want and can't really have a great college experience, which we know the University of North Carolina provides, when you're isolated in your rooms. Yeah, this is what happens when you when you load up with a big this, – or this is what can happen. You leave yourself at risk for something like this when you sign a big freshman class, like Duke, Duke did in 2017, like they do most years too, but like, like UNC did in, in 2020. Um, positionally, it was obviously going to be an issue. I wrote about this last March, just like – it's not going to be possible for Roy to say like, I'm going to take the 80 minutes of at power forward and center and just give 20 <laughs> to each guy. It doesn't work like that. And like, not to criticize, I'm not going to even use this to criticize Roy, but because I, because I wasn't involved in their, their planning, but it did not seem to be like a lot of rhyme or reason for how they were managing the rotation with those guys this year. 
Um, it was a lot of like, who's playing well right now. I could see how that would be frustrating. Even on that Duke team, if I were Wendell, Wendell Carter's party, I actually would have been kind of frustrated with the, the Marvin Bagley situation too, because Bagley didn't commit to Duke until like the end of August in 2017. Um, when like a lot of those guys are probably either on campus already or getting ready to show but up. Doesn't there, so. it come off as like very AAU when parents are out there publicly criticizing coaches that have combined for 1800 wins? Yeah. I mean like it, to an extent. Yeah. I get it though too. Like there is a lot of stuff at stake at stake here. I'm guessing the, like the, the family of Caleb love is probably not stoked that Caleb love entered the season as like maybe a lottery prospect. And now he's like completely undrafted. I'm so glad player. you bring him up because you saw the tweet. I remember retweeting it and then immediately the dad took it down. But he's talking about evolution and criticizing Roy and talking about giving him no reason to want to come back. Talking about freshmen giving them no reason to come back. I'm thinking in Caleb's sense, you love the numbers. You love analytics. I'll try to out-precise the guys in a second. <laughs> when you look at Caleb Love, this is according to Sam Vicini of The Athletic, first high major player since 93 with over 300 shots to shoot under 32% from the field and under 27% from three. He had the Cole Anthony green light. It felt like all year long, if anybody would have been satisfied with the way their kid was handled, it would be Caleb Love's dad, you'd think. Yeah, I guess the one thing would be, and this is something that like a lot of like, uh, you know, top level point guards are probably going to have to consider based off of what we just saw with Cole Anthony and then last year and then this year with Caleb Love is like, look, if UNC is going to play these two big guys the whole game and they've got a non-shooter on the wing like Leaky Black, um, yeah, maybe you like you got to you got to really want to play at UNC probably because even though you're going to get a lot of shots and there was plenty of usage for Cole Anthony, plenty of usage for Caleb Love this season, plenty of shots. Um, while I think a lot of the issues that Love had can be traced back to like his lack of burst, which was obvious in the Charleston game. It was a concern literally through the Wisconsin game. Like that dude can't get separation. And it's why his two point numbers and his rim finishing is just like shockingly bad for a guy that otherwise seems like a pretty good athlete and a good sized guard. But, like, UNC system is not exactly tailored if they're going to play those two big guys to give these types of guys, like, the space to create, right? Um, there's a system they want to play, and there's also a lack of shooting. And that wasn't the case for Kobe White a couple of years ago. He was an excellent pull-up shooter. That team also had Luke May, who did not shoot well on threes that year, but still shot a handful of them per game. And just being able to make an opponent have to come out and guard that can open up a little bit more offensively. So, I, but like, that's also on these, like the players knew what the deal was when they picked to come to these schools too. So like, I, I don't know, I'm not even pointing the, any blame. I'm just saying like, there's, there's a lot of factors that go into this scenario on both sides of the equation, player, coach, team, program, system, like all of it gets baked into the same cake. Brian Geisiger's with us here from accsports.com. You can find him on Twitter at bgeis underscore bird. Robert, we've got a lot to do. Another NCAA tournament update for you. It is Abilene Christian, UCLA, and UCLA is putting in work. Seven and a half to go in the first half. UCLA is up 24 to 12. They got seven different people scoring. 
In the first half of the first half, UCLA is getting it done. <laughs> Back to you, Josh. Did I interrupt something? I, yeah. I'm terrible at knowing when to interject with these yeah, things. Yeah, uh, they're on a 16-0 run. Moving. Abilene Christian's missing everything right now. None of these games have been any good in the early part uh, of today. Abilene Christian, that was my favorite upset of the weekend because, goodness, they've only been D1 for seven, eight years, and there's not – I've lived in the state of Texas. There's no second school that's comparable to as big as the Texas Longhorns are in that state. So if you're Abilene Christian and you get your first NCAA tournament win and it's against them and the drama that all went into it, even though I had Texas go into the Final Four, I felt awesome for Abilene Christian doing so. So – Yes, Robert, that that was a good time to interject. I appreciate you uh, interjecting with those high updates. Anytime you can get it in. Let's get to Out Precise the Geist, though. Brian Geisinger is a basketball genius. Josh Graham uh, is not. I'm smart, you're dumb. I'm big, you're little. I'm right, you're wrong. Listen as Brian launches half-court shots and Josh, well, double dribbles all over himself. And there's nothing you can do about it. Get off the bench and try to out-precise the guys. I'm glad we got an update in before this, too, because it brings me to the topic of today's Out Precise the Guys. The NCAA tournament's been going on. I think the hype for it started last Monday. You know what I mean? Where everybody started checking out. So I want to talk about basketball from the NBA that has only happened in the last week. <laughs> I, I, I haven't paid attention to any NBA basketball over the last week. That is not so this is going to be great. I mean, anybody, the only person I think that was actually watching is probably Geisinger. So it's going to be one-sided here, but I don't know. Uh, we'll see. That's why we play the game, starting off. The Heat have lost three in a row despite Jimmy Butler scoring more than his average in each of those games. How many combined points have the Heat lost by in those three games? In the three games, they have played the Grizzlies and the Pacers twice. So three games, one against the Grizzlies, one twice, two against the Pacers. How many combined points did they lose in that three-game skid? Uh, they played really... really well the last few weeks. Uh, once Jimmy got Jim, Jimmy Butler got back, they were flying up the Eastern Conference standings. Um, I will say a combined. I'll go combined uh, twenty-five points. See, I think it's either going to be really big or really small. I went really small, seven. The totals from those three games. They lost by four points. They lost by three points. They lost by 27 points for 34. (laughs) Guys, BG was worried for a second. Like, oh, no, Uh, I think Josh got me. That one one did not leave the hand with much confidence uh, when I shot it. Let me just tell you that. Got the lucky bounce off the back iron. Geis yes. is up one, but, I mean, it would not take much for Josh to get back in this game. He would just have to answer one of these, and we're back tied. 76ers squeaked past the Knicks in overtime last night, 101-100. to Tobias Harris made back-to-back free throws to go up. But how many points did he have in the game? Mm. He scored the final five points, hit a big three, and then two free throws later in the game to seal it. How many combined points did Tobias have? In that game. Ooh, overtime game. No Joel Embiid to take shots. Tobias probably did work. Let's say uh, 30 points for Mr. Tobias Harris. Again, I went ridiculous. I got 46. I think Tobias went for 46. 46. Tobias went for 20. All right. 
What's ridiculous about this is I had 19 written down and I scrapped it out and said, oh, wait, that can't be it. That can't be yeah. it. Yeah. These have been tricky, man. These are tricky today. It's even trickier when nobody's watching these games, right? Yeah. Good. I, I have watched I have watched every Hornets game, uh, even the very sad Clippers game when LaMelo gets hurt. But, like, there's just too much college going on right now that even for myself it's taking a, a bit of a back i've watched which which like bit. why dude it is crazy that we have unc basketball imploding lamello's injury the nba trade deadline and march madness and states in the nit i got too much on my plate right now man <laughs> and the women's program's really good so That's, why not thank you thank you yes you've been watching a ton of hornets but have you been watching a lot of the suns the Suns are three and one over the last week with a win over the Lakers. Uh, they have crept into second place in the West on the back of Chris Paul and Devin Booker. How many points has Devin Booker averaged in the last four games? Ooh, yeah, second place in the West, man. Way to Phoenix is—they're a real team. This is fun. I, I want them to go deep in the in the postseason. I would be very happy to see Chris Paul have more success. Um, I'll say 25 per game over the last four for uh, D-Book. And do you think it's true what I said there, that it's on the back of Chris Paul? You think he had more of an impact or Frank the Tank? Frank Kaminsky, <laughs> who do you think to the hey, Suns? Kaminsky is, like, weirdly useful for them right? like, half, like, in half of their games. But, uh, but no, <laughs> I, uh, I got to say, just, just by a very thin margin, Chris Paul is slightly more important to the Phoenix Suns of being a title contender than uh, Frank Kaminsky. Guys, you went 25 there, correct? Yeah. Mm-hmm. Okay, Josh, where are you going? I got 31. 25. 31. Robert has to do some math. He's, he's stalling it somewhere in the middle. I did do some math, but okay. Monday last week, 27. Thursday, 35. Friday, 16. Sunday, 26. Jesus. That averages out to 26 points I, I know a game. It. I know it. he was off by a point. Unbelievable. I hate this game <laughs> I, yeah. when i make these i'm like i i know i can get josh but like sometimes i want to get guys yeah. i want to get you but it's so hard for me to do it every time but you show out guys appreciate you playing once again you have not been out precise yes that's right that's right that's basically what booker averages is just 25 26 points per game that's like where he is this season he's very good yeah. oh come on some respect for the guests. Too mean to trample all over your victory speech there, but we do have an NCAA tournament update. Not a big one. UCLA scored two more points. Six minutes to go. They're up 26 to 12. Are Back you to sure? You, Josh. Is this one of the deals where you forgot to refresh it again? I don't know. I have it up, so I would hope that it would refresh automatically, but if not, then maybe I'm wrong. Let me, let, me, let me refresh to make sure that's right. It is 26 to 12 still. Oh, I was correct. Okay, Josh said that for absolutely no reason. Appreciate it. Back to you, Josh. BG, thanks for doing this, buddy. BG has go. also left the building. Yeah. He had nothing for your update there. He didn't care for that at all.